There we go. All right. This is Jack Donovan. And you are listening to or watching PH2T3R, Patera, the Journal of Solar Culture. And tonight our show is about hate. Uh, it came up this week in conversation. It just so happens that uh, my co-host has written a book about hate, uh, which I've avoided uh, citing or talking <laughs> about for very good reasons. Uh, before before we get into that and before I introduce that, um, I wanted to, you know, it's always an interesting process making these videos every week. Uh, it's it's like an art project uh, that I it's like I give myself an hour and I'm like what do I come up with and it's like a speed project rather than like uh, it's something that I agonize over for weeks. And what was interesting about this is I'm like well what, what what's gonna encapsulate hate as well as I possibly can with sock footage that I can find very quickly. And so I found that the footage of the guy with the uh, you know the ski mask on and the baseball bat right. And, you know, okay, well, that seems reasonable for, for hate. That's about as close as we can get. Uh, it's not really what I would associate with it myself. But uh, um, so I, I pull it on there. And then you know, I start downloading the footage. I'm like, oh, this is good footage. This is good stuff. They have the CCTV part, whatever. It's great. And then uh, I realized that on his ski mask, there's a cross. And so they had had an embroidered cross on this ski mask. Now the stock video server, I, I use Artlist. I'm not being sponsored over, but Artlist is the fancy artsy stock footage I use. And then I use a different one for most of the stuff I get. But uh, Artlist is a little bit artsier. It has a little bit better footage. It's you know, more film industry stuff. And so what this was is they decided what is hate? You know, what well, wasn't for hate? It was just, you know, they want an angry man. You know, like it's probably what I put it was angry man. And uh, so this is Christian nationalism. These, this is like left-wing people, like Hollywood people making stock footage, parodying, well, not parodying, but like really displaying their fears. Like this is what they think Christian nationalists would. There's this hateful guy. I pl I, like I plugged in hate and I plugged in angry man. I'm not sure which one this came up under, but there's this hateful guy and he's coming with a baseball bat with a little cross on it, you know, like, yeah. and well, it's, if you know anything about Christian nationalists, like that is not how they would come. I mean, the ones that are meme Lords online. Yeah. Yes. But they're, they aren't coming after yeah. anybody, but the, the, uh, the most average people who think that they're Christian nationalists are not going to wear ski masks and they're not, they're not, uh, that's not their scene at all. Uh, and, and so like the idea of like, this is a fantasy created by the other side. So it's like almost like a window in a window of hate. It's yeah. like well, their hate projected onto somebody else. We're already deep into the, into the subject matter in a way, because how could you depict a manifestation of hatred in a way that condemns hatred without in the act of doing so expressing hatred yourself to some degree? Because by tying some other group to hate right. is itself an act of hate. No, no group is about hate, like primarily. They'll say we're right. about our people or our religion or our other thing. And we just hate things that oppose that thing. So like, of course, saying, well, so-and-so is about hate, um, you know, is, is going to be in some sense a, a straw man, is going to be felt as hatred by the recipient of that caricature. Which you know kicked off a whole lot of violence um, over caricatures of a certain prophet 
um, a decade or so back. Um, was that remembers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the, the maybe we'll we'll get to that in a minute before we uh, we could maybe talk about hatred itself first because that's um, that's an interesting subject on its own and the conflation between fear, anger, hatred, and my favorite, which is disgust, um, yes. all tied together very interestingly. Yeah. Well, why don't we do that? But let me start off with my disclaimer uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> about this because uh, I, I even thought about how to, do I really want to call this hate because that's the punchiest like thing or do you, do I call it something else? And I'm like, I'll, I can go with hate. Uh, but you know, the reason I, I wanted to give the, a little bit of background into it, like the reason why I started the order of fire and a lot of my guiding principles over the past few years, you know, the, the real sense of what I'm doing is that I wanted to create something positive. And because a lot of what I saw out there really was just hate. And, and it, it really was focused on hate. It's like, if I go to somebody's profile on uh, like X and it is nothing about the group, but about the group that they hate, that, that is all that they know. Like that, that is their entire world is like the people that they hate. And this could be boomer conservatives. Uh, it'll be nothing, but can you believe so-and-so said this? And that's all that Biden they hear. This, Biden that. Yeah. Biden all that. And, yeah. and nothing. The only thing that trumps the the Biden hatred is, of course, the Trump hatred. And, yeah. and of course, the the great thing about the the Trump haters is that they are the most unself aware opposers of hatred itself. Yeah. And at the same time, the the most brazen, like living embodiments of pure flaming hatred. Like you can see it in their eyes. <laughs> it's oh, it's it just, like, if, if someone drops yeah. the word MAGA, you know that they hate. Something oh, yeah. like if there, I mean, there are people who have principled and like, uh, you know, realistic, you know, opposition to Trump and things that he said. Sure. Like, that's that's one thing. But if you drop MAGA, like they're in a cult, they need to be stopped. Like it, it's it's go, you're going straight to crazy town, and uh, it creates an angry town. Like it, it it's like talking to any other group of haters. You know, like it, it's it's like people who are like so obsessed with the other side that they can't that it keeps them up at night and they can't think about anything. <laughs> you know, the bug is coming. Yeah. And the same, and the thing is that I, I didn't, <laughs> what I think a lot of um, people on the other side, whatever you want to call that, uh, cause that's a mess, but uh, people who are not anti maga <laughs> uh, whatever the side is, they, they're very like blind to the caricature of them that is exists because a lot of this is to me, it's old Gen X stuff that uh, like Christian nationalists and all these people like, do you know what cards you're pulling? Uh, like, do you know, do you know what, do you know what buttons you're pushing on these people? Because, you know, you know, the, the people who are in charge of that side are, you know, people my age, you know, like they're, they're the, you know, they're the Gen X people. And like all through the nineties, uh, like everyone was, convinced that the evangelicals were going to come and and the thing is the evangelicals were saying stuff like that. <laughs> like they, they, the evangelicals had a lot of power in the 90s and they they definitely wanted to change society and they had a lot of momentum uh behind them because of aids 
and uh, like a, a couple other things. Uh, so there was a lot of like, there are a lot of people who were deeply traumatized by evangelicals in the nineties that when you start pulling out like, like the, the Christian nationalist stuff that they're all of a sudden, no, <laughs> they're going to get, they're going to go really hard against it. And I think that people don't realize that that's there, you know? <laughs> right. And I mean, that, but it sort of segues into an interesting aspect of hatred. And this is something that anyone who I think thinks about the subject for more than two seconds right. comes to realize very quickly, which is that like hatred is not primarily an ideological thing. Obviously it uh, expresses itself ideologically, but it's a physiological response. Um, and uh, in my writing about it, and the, if you wanted to summarize the in defense of hatred thesis of what hatred is in a phrase, it's disgust towards mind. It's just a, it's a social version of disgust as an emotion. And so, and, and disgust, the purpose of disgust is to keep you safe from things that would poison you or, or uh, injure you by disease, essentially. Um, the, uh, to, to, call upon people to purge hatred from their heart is essentially to the call to remove a part of their brain that is associated with the survival instinct. Like it's not feasible. And to understand hatred by understanding the origins, as you mentioned, like the, the, the language used in the nineties. Um, and we can see bits of that, uh, today too. Um, there was that famous bit of graffiti from some Antifa person that said, you know, liberals get the bullet too. Um, you know, so some, some liberals will remember that and uh, millennials will, when they're Gen X age, um, some like, you know, Antifa from Gen Alpha or whatever the generation after the generation of Gen Z will be saying some stuff and like, why, why do these millennials like hate our, our points so much? It's Cause it's drawing upon, you know, <laughs> old memories, threat memories from, you know, before they were born, perhaps. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, before we get any deeper into it, I wanted to finish the, the uh, uh, commentary there. Just oh, sure. In terms of the, in terms of how this came up, uh, because, so we have some context, not let's like we were like thinking about hate a lot. And then we wanted to talk <laughs> about, uh, you know, like uh, it came up because, yeah, you know, I've been trying to create something positive, and I th because my criticism of these movements and online personalities and so forth, and why I I have a disgust reaction towards them at this point, uh, when I see uh, certain like online leaders and so forth, and all they do is really foment hate uh, against another side, and they don't really have anything. And my criticism is that well, what's where are you going? Like, where are you going to tell these people to go? That's better. And what are you doing instead of just jerking them off with hate? Because you can do that. Like hate is like an addictive, like porno por pornographic thing. And people can get excited about it. And they, and they, they just, they can't wait to get up and hate. Like, and you know, I, I've gotten in a loop through the 2020 thing and, and, and before that, but like you, you get in a loop where you're just like, you kind of want to be mad. Like, what am I going to find? Like, what am I going to be mad about today? I, I'm not that way right now at all. But uh, I've, I've definitely been in that space. Like you, you kind of get addicted to being angry and there are people who feed off of that and they're making money off of it uh, by, by making people angry 
And they might even imagine that they're doing something good by doing it. But if you're not giving them a viable, like viable action items to do from, it's one thing to be angry because there are things to be angry about. And there are people to be mad that they're doing bad things. If we pull good and bad out of it, even uh, there are people, people are doing things that will threaten your health and happiness. And if you don't, and if it's okay to hate that, and then okay, well, what are you going to do about it? And, and that's why I say you need a positive vision. So everything that I've been doing with the Order of Fire and with Solar Idealism and, and Stay Solar and all that stuff was my desire to like, well, can we do something positive, send something in a positive direction instead of just whipping up hatred, especially if it has nowhere to go? Because you can whip up hatred and send people into battle but there's no battle to send them into. So like there's, oh, oh, there's, you know, there's of course a battle to send them into Jack. You can go vote for X candidate. Oh, I, I just assumed it was going to say that. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say the great, the next great meme more. Um, oh, oh, yeah. that's, not too, that's even lower though. That's, <laughs> yeah. The next great meme more. That's even uh, more of a hamster better. treadmill than. than yeah. 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 Exactly. But I mean, that's, Thanks. you know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the voting thing is is you know whatever. Go to go spend your give their money to somebody's campaign, whatever. Uh, of course, that's a thing. But so, but the reason why this came up was because we were talking about. I, I was doing some research on just men in groups, which I go to the uh, classic text. I have it in my other office, uh, but is uh, by um, it, yeah, it's called Men in Group by Lionel Tiger, and it is really like an OG book. It came out in 1969 and he's the guy who actually coined the phrase male bonding. And it's a fantastic study of you know, the way men go through this process where they aggress against things. And he called it masterful action, uh, which I think is a great like little phrase, uh, you know, because when you walk into like a, say a campsite to take the, uh, order fire you know the fire in the dark metaphor you walk into a campsite and you're like well this is how i want this campsite to look let's get to work making it like that that is masterful action and if you have to you know if there's something bad about your society and you have to fix it maybe the only way is to have a revolution that is also masterful action uh you're you're imposing your vision on the world and men do that really that's what men are designed to do together they're designed to go and hunt things together and this is how we, you know, build things together. This is all of that is masterful action. And so when they, you know, that's that's how men bond. And so it's actually really hard to get men to talk and interact unless they're mad about something. And like if they're both mad about something, like oh, all right, let's talk about it. And you see guys try to do that. They 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 want to talk about sports if they think you're on their team. You know, like, like, oh, you know what, there's other team, but uh, uh, you know, same thing with politics. Like if they, two, two guys get in a room and they think that somebody else is on their same political team, like that's the first thing they want to talk about. Cause they're like, Hey buddy, how about that? How about those jerks? How about like, FJB, right? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and if they get another <laughs> back, it's like, okay, they're friends. You're like, okay, we're starting a, a, th a thing here. And if you don't have any, if you don't have anything like that, it's, it's harder in the way that it's harder to get people excited about good news uh, it, it, than it is to get them excited about bad news. It's uh, harder to get men to talk to each other if they don't have a common enemy that they've established or a common like 
purpose that's that's you know exciting but especially anger you know and so and the anger that comes from hate so there i will give it back to you i just want to give context for this conversation as it relates to men and and the bigger the picture why we're talking about it but right anyway so why don't you introduce uh before we get into all the different little specific areas of hatred um why don't you uh introduce your book a little bit sure well i i wrote uh in defense of hatred in 2017 when I was not as good of a writer as I am today. Uh, but a, a huge, probably the singular influence behind the book was a speech given by Christopher Hitchens in 2006, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, where he was defending hate speech. And it's the it's one of the most um, beautiful rhetorical um demonstrations I, I think you can find uh online i recommend everyone watch it there was a time where i had the whole 20 minutes or so memorized but the the gist of the speech was that um freedom of speech because it was a defense of free speech against arguments for censorship of hate speech um a true defense of free speech requires a defense of hate speech and that the people who, and he brings it to religion about two thirds of the way through. So it's the people who are calling for censorship most vociferously are themselves standing upon books that could very legitimately be called um, expressions of hate speech. Um, it's, he says, you know, towards the end, you look uh, in, any, in any mosque or in any synagogue or in any church, and you will find a book that advocates genocide, slavery, and uh, ethnic hatred in, in some form or another. Um, it's, it's very like you, th- this becomes an Ouroboros eating its own tail it, it, if it's applied objectively, but of course it never is. So it always feels like a kind of selective, the opposition to hate speech seems like a kind of selective cover for censorship. That's how it's applied um, it, you know, politically. So that, that was the context, but I wanted to take that further and say, you know, it still sort of grants, you know, it, it's talking about hate speech is something that like it's called this or that, but um, is hatred itself even actually bad in the first place? And that led into a, a long, there, there was a time about the time I was writing this, there was a slogan. Some people might remember this um, was going around it was very, very poorly grammatically written slogan but it was love trumps hate <laughs> um people might might remember this and it was a uh it is it, funny because it's like are we supposed to love the hate that is possessed by trump or or like like it, it's it not immediately grammatically clear in the mind so was, there's some complaints about that but it sort of invokes a dichotomy that a lot of people very naturally have which is that Love and hatred are opposites right. from each other. If if you are hating something, there, there's some quote, I, I don't remember, I have it at the beginning of my book, I should probably look at it, but it was some famous person, doesn't matter who, who said, um, you, uh, you shouldn't hate because uh, you won't have time to love people, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you know, I don't have... I'm too busy loving everyone to have time to hate people as if those two things are mutually exclusive. And um, 
But when you think about like what causes hate mm-hmm. and, and pick the most absurd caricature of a hate group or whatever that you want, um, it always stems from a love of something. You know, they, they love group X loves Y. So they hate Z, you know, because they see Z as a, as a threat to the thing that they love. Now we can say they don't understand the dynamic, uh, or the thing that they hate doesn't actually pose a threat to the thing that they love, or very importantly, maybe they love the wrong thing. There's all kinds of ways where the hate might not be justified, might be bad, but in principle, any kind of love carries um, a, the, the latent possibility of hatred if the thing that you love comes under threat. Now, there's one exception to that, and that is something that nothing can threaten. So if you love, for example, a god, and if you are supposed to only love a god that cannot be killed or injured or defamed even or, or destroyed, then then it makes sense to purge hatred from your heart, not only because there's no purpose for it, but because it would be a kind of symptom of loving the wrong things. So there, there are very particular, um, particularly Buddhist and Christian theological justifications, and not all Christians agree with this, and I'm very happy that many don't, um, but there are nonetheless uh, certain theological arguments for purging hatred from your heart. But for those of us who care about this world and the things in, in this world, um, there are the justifications for hatred turn out to be identical to the justifications for love because the two are the same. Now, I hit publish on that book in 2017. And then in 2018, I started running across the neurological support for this that I didn't know about when I hit publish. So I did not include the research on oxytocin or the, um, Robert Sapolsky's points about the, the, the neural circuitry itself. Um, there's, turns out there are some, some shared brain circuits that connect love and hatred. And there are some funny, um, psychology today articles talking about how oxytocin isn't just the cuddle hormone. It's also the xenophobia and uh, schadenfreude hormone. Um, the, 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 the <laughs> I gloating, think I remember seeing something like that. At some yeah, the, the, the gloating over the misfortune of others, um, your enemies in particular. Like the, those are actually at a neurological and neurochemical level, these things are linked, which I didn't know even as I was writing this. So um, it, was, it was an interesting discovery. Um, so the, the, the whole premise of love trumps hate, which we, we've talked a little bit about the, the danger of, uh, you know, word thinking and getting caught in linguistic categories and, mm-hmm. and so forth. The distinction between love and hatred is like, obviously, if I'm loving an object and I'm hating an object, it's very different, uh, you know, relationship between me and that particular object. But at the level of my brain, the, those two feelings are related. Right. Related. Not, not the same, but related. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so any, anyone who wants to say hatred is inherently immoral, th- there's yeah. a tacit claim that, that you shouldn't actually love anything seriously. <laughs> um, which is like, 
that's that's not a very popular claim unless they're going to take an agape in the in the broad Christian sense or a, a Buddhist yeah it sounds very kindness yeah, yeah I think I think a lot of the in the kind of people who say things like that uh, are probably not intellectual Christians uh, the, the the kind of people who say something like that have probably uh, dipped their finger in some Buddhism at some point and they're like you know like it's just about love man it's just about like it's that it's kind of a silly vibe that, that, that you get from like people who are into like things like healing or but but you know the world was suffering and so it goes yeah. into self-negation and like, it's like that, that it mushroom you're theology you're not supposed to be attached you're supposed to get it's rid mushroom of theology it's mushroom yeah. theology it's that, that <laughs> unity of all we need to yes. make that a phrase mushroom theology uh, yeah, no, I'm, I I think that yeah. might be uh, yeah. I mean, I I can already, already think of people who are going to be offended, but uh, like, the, <laughs> but but uh, there's something to that. Uh, but but yeah, it's well, it goes if you were going to make it a little bit higher than, than just like trendiness. Uh, anything that's a renunciation of the world and more in a Buddhist realm, uh, renunciation of attachment. Um, saying that you shouldn't be attached to things is does lead to not having hate because, yeah. as you said, you don't love anything and you don't care about anything uh, because you're you? on your way to becoming a corpse that never comes back. Uh, <laughs> you know, right. like, and that's what you're hoping for. So that's that's it is the goal is not to really have attachment to things and then they'll weasel around that, and make it about being a good person somehow. But uh, it's yeah, it, it, there. I mean, you're right in the point that it def definitely does mean that you know, you care about something, you know, like you have to care about the hate. The, the tricky part about hate and what I think people mean by it, because there's words and what they mean and then what people mean by that, right. which is a different thing. When someone and, says, don't be a hater, yeah. they're not talking about hate in the same sense uh, as uh, that person should be censored and removed from the internet and from banks for hate speech. Like those are di very different senses of the term. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's yeah. That's that's like thought crime more than. It, but uh, what the what I think the average person who isn't just a crazy ideologue, uh, like that that this isn't you know what the, the average because all these things, every crazy thing has a, a an entry level appeal. You know, like every everything that becomes popular at all has this entry level appeal. Um, that this seems reasonable. It seems like a reasonable point. And uh, the reasonable point for the no hate thing is that just like I said, in the way that you can go online and find, you know, a guy whose entire profile is about MAGA or you know, Democrats or the Jews or, you know, like uh, blacks or like something – <laughs> you know, white, white yeah, 100% white people. Uh, you know, like uh, it was much more popular than it is now. Um, people, I mean, especially when, we're, when people before they thought 9 11 was an inside job, uh, they uh, or whatever, um, they uh, Muslims, yeah, yeah, Muslims. I mean, there was very, very popular in America to hate Muslims, uh, for, for, for a while. It isn't now, yeah. but it was, and 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 among the very best people. <laughs> yeah, among the very best people you're talking soldiers and like whatever they were they were like no no yeah and, they, and, and you know, conversely there is yeah. a a much smaller community mm -hmm. um where or i think we've both dipped our toes in versions of this uh that thinks that everything wrong with the world is essentially christianity 
too. Right. Um, yeah. And it's, it's easy to hate. And there, there's some people who enter that world because of like abusive families that they grew up in yeah. and other, other people just come in because uh, there's this punk attraction to hating on the, uh, the thing that's popular. <laughs> yeah. 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 And now it's not even cool. Uh, no, it's not. like that's it's already mainstream, but uh, oh, that's uh, so 2009, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah it's, not, it's not even cool, but like, yeah, yeah, but before that, it was still you know shocking and exciting to be like, everything wrong in the world comes from religion. Uh, uh, do you well, listen to Marilyn Manson too? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's that mindset, but but the reasonable point that I was talking about is is that. We all know the people who do that and the people who do become consumed by hate mm. and where hate becomes their primary concern. Like I said, they're addicted to this. They're porn addicts, basically, and that all they want to talk about is who they hate and whatever. And that's the grain of where this argument is reasonable because mm -hmm. that person is not productive. Yes. That, that person is toxic to be around i don't care what side they're on yeah. that person is not going to bring you up in the world they being around them is 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 an anchor around you you, you don't want to be around that person because it's either you start to agree with them and then you become that person or you know it's just it's just an awkward angry time it's like a bad relative that you don't want to hang out with at thanksgiving well you know? the, the funny thing is if you like if you grant the legitimacy of the hatred and said, this is a real problem that needs to be stopped. Those people are actually counterproductive to their own desired ends. Oh, you can break down hatred into, I, I tried to break it down into two flavors, right? There is like there. And I, I said that it's, there's hot hatred on the one hand, which is, which are these guys. And there's cold hatred, which is more, um, sort of set back and um, clear-eyed about things. And it doesn't necessarily change the intensity of the emotion, right. but it's a, it's a completely different expression of it. Um, and, and you can see this. The cold you, hatred is tactical hatred. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine, imagine two MMA fighters who hate each other. Yeah. Imagine one of them has hot is full of rage and hot hatred. And the other one has that, that kind of dead eyed cold hatred. Right. And you had to put money on a bet on which one would win. Fedor. Who would you? Huh? Fedor. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, that Fedor, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name anymore, but uh, he, he was one of the like legends in like the UFC early on. Okay. And he, he's Russian as fuck. And uh, okay. he, he, he's Russian and he would just come out with this dead stare and just like, Okay, I'm going to kill you. And like, <laughs> and the other guys bouncing around the room, like getting excited. And they, they, yeah, he he looked like he he was bored. Like <laughs> literally, like what if you go out to watch the videos, like Fedor was like that. He's just like no, this is like that. you know, like <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, like he will, and then he will just and he he would he would beat everybody. Like, you he, know, he was, you know, uh, but yeah. Just speaking of fighting, one of the one of the metaphors. This is tangentially related to that it's not it's not humans fighting but uh one of the metaphors i brought up as an example to illustrate the point was bullfighting right the bull is furious the bull has in fact been stabbed in order to be made furious um 
And the fury, the rage of the bull is actually what allows the matador to control it, to, to cause it to go the way he wants it to go. And I, I posed in, in the book as a thought experiment, imagine you were a bullfighter and you waved your cape in front of this bull to try to get it to charge. And it just stood there and watched you and looked at you and like started doing like this number with its head. At that moment, you would realize you're fucked. Right. And, and I, 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 I would have to go back and rewatch the video. I think yep. just a couple weeks ago, there was a, a national news headline because the Matador got gored. Mm -hmm. um, I might be getting my dates wrong, but I, I think that's exactly what happened, actually. Uh, yeah. the, the bull didn't do what he expected. It sort of paused in a way that he didn't anticipate and it just flung its head and, and threw him. Wow. Um, got its horn through his door in his chest cavity and he didn't make it through the evening. Yeah. Um, so like that, the difference between cold hatred and hot hatred in, in your, you can actually feel it in your body. You know, it, there's actually a temperature difference and a and a like uh, a, a difference in in your vision, right? Um, the hot hatred it never is because it, it pushes everything out, but it should be a red flag to say uh, I'm very easy to manipulate right now, mm. which sort of brings us back to your point in bringing this up in the first place, which is the creation of groups. Um, it actually, I hadn't planned on talking about this gentleman, but it might make sense to bring him up in this context, in the context of controlling people and manipulating people in order to form groups. Um, the expression of hatred in politics, uh, it wasn't described as hatred per se, I don't think, but comes to us by way of a Nazi mm -hmm. and a, and a Catholic theologian, interestingly named Carl Schmidt, who said the concept of the political is actually established by the creation of an outgroup of a shared enemy and adversary. That's not wrong. Yeah, well, it's it's not, but it like it can also it sort of hinges upon it, it sort of establishes the creation of political coalitions as being contingent upon manipulating them to some degree, and that hot hatred is a very easy way to bring them all together yeah well that's what i, I referred to that in the past as as uh, the guy who uh, what is it the uh, who's the guy who bangs the drums for the monkeys um, oh the organ grinder right? yes yeah, organ grinder of thumos yes yes uh, <laughs> that's the that's the guy who uh yeah yeah because and there are guys that are really good at that uh you know you can you can like, come on, dance, monkey, dance. Come on, lie, like, I can get young men mad. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's one of the easiest things to do. It, yeah, yeah. And that's why you, it's good to have responsible leaders because young men are so easy to spin up into that because they want to prove themselves and they want to right. do something good. And they want to be part of a group that they as, can do that too. Exactly. They, they need an enemy. Well, uh, all heroes need dragons. And, and all heroes need bands of brothers that they can defeat the dragons in front of. Yes. Yes. And, and anyone can, and that's, that's what, you know, bringing back to what I was talking about, about some of the other groups and so forth online that I see is that you have people riling up these young men 
and then they but they don't have anywhere to send them you know like they so they're basically just destroying them you know like like let's make these kids mad and send them out to the a war that isn't there and like so they're just making them destructive and they're just perpetuating destructive energy uh and and then you know like some of them are going to do something stupid uh you know like eventually one of them is going to do something dumb they're going to do they're they're going to think that they're, they're going to be the the god's lonely man and uh, do the taxi driver routine and uh then then everybody all those other people will denounce that person because that's what happens right and uh you know it's it's so i'm always it's so wary i hate to see it because i'm uh yeah i'm like i would love it, it that's a power. It's the most powerful, and beautiful thing in the world. If you can, get, if you can uh, get men to do something, you know, what, you get young men to do something heroic, right? That's where all these good stories come from. You get them go fight for, uh, you know, Greece or whatever, you know. But uh, if, but if you if you're doing it for just selfish reasons or just to make money or like, or if youth, that, you know, or if you're genuinely doing it for selfless reasons. But your yeah. entire concept of what's good and bad was fed to you by someone who has very political or financial interests at heart and is sending you against dragons who are not dragons, but are just other people doing other normal things, which has happened once or twice in history. Um, that can also be bad. You, oh, can take, you can take very noble, good, fundamentally decent people and make them do like awful things. Uh, as no doubt Carl Schmidt uh, might have helped happen uh, <laughs> right. in the past, um, but but not to the exclusion of things in the 21st century. Not at all. Um, so I mean, I, I mean, I think like a lot of the veterans I talk to uh, feel like they got spun up and then got, but got played. Uh, you know, like they got played against an enemy that really wasn't the enemy. Uh, you know, like it, or yeah. and then you know that then you get to this kind of I don't know historically cynical point where you're wondering like, well, isn't that what it's the only thing that's ever been <laughs> no. you know, like, are yeah. we naive in assuming that that hasn't always been the case? Well, and so, if so, then is heroism and something like that. Uh, just the application of that thing on the fur on the, on the individual scale, he did the thing that he was supposed to do. We don't need to know about the bigger context, but his heroism is related to what he did. Well, on a personal level. Th this is the value, I think, of making the distinction between hot hatred and cold hatred. Because mm. what cold hatred, uh, what I tried to argue is that hatred becomes justified when it is grounded in understanding. Like if you're if you're going to uh, compete with another team in a, in a sports game or a chess match or, or a UFC fight, um, all that I see red and then bodies drop his, the energy you bring is going to mean nothing, you know, uh, if you don't actually understand a, what you're doing and B what they are likely to do. Right. But if you have an understanding of what they're likely to do, Oh, this guy likes to throw hands and then go for a takedown in the third round or, you know, wh whatever it is that they like to do, this guy likes to do the London opening. So I got my counters to that, whatever the case may be. If you have a deeper understanding not only are you more likely to employ your hatred effectively and bring the right kind of hatred that actually does make you fight and perform better, 
but you're actually way less likely to be hating the wrong thing. Like, oh, screw this guy. And then you, then you pause, you're like, let's find out. And then you, you start doing some research. You start learning about the thing and you're like, oh, okay. I still don't like this thing, but in the context of this history in which it emerged, it's not the same thing that I thought it was. It's certainly not the thing that these other people were telling me it was. And your view of the thing that you thought you hated changes. Sometimes, very often, that eliminates the hatred. Mm-hmm. sometimes it intensifies it. Um, and this is the, this is the other big lie. Well, not lie, but I shouldn't say that the big, uh, confusion and misunderstanding. I think many people have is that they, and you'll see these same kind of quasi Buddhist pseudo moral saints of the modern age say like, you know, you can't hate something if you truly understand it. I think there was a line from Ender's Game, actually, where it's like, you can't understand something without loving it to some degree. It's like, uh, that's not necessarily true. You can understand something very, very well and hate it. <laughs> and hate it all the more for what you understand. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but it, it varies. And and it actually, it it decreases your chance of hating the wrong thing, hating hating the wrong enemy. And also, if it is the right enemy, it makes your your relation to it more successful. So um, that slowing down and that that bringing your blood pressure down a little bit, um, I, I think it's the the best way of understanding it. I think is it changes you from a low agency reactive person mm. into a much higher agency proactive person it puts you back in the driver's seat of your own life is because that that hot hatred just turns you into a tool for whoever can induce that 100 uh, i i knew i've known a few guys especially uh, when i was running groups for a while i don't know if we have any of those guys in our group but uh i've known a few guys who were known for being easy to spin up like, oh, okay. Like, and they were actually used as pawns politically in between different people in the group to get, like, if you could get this guy, not the other guy, then, then he would be like, he'd be all about it. You know, like you could get him all about it really quick. And you just had to say a couple of the right things and you could send him out in the direction. And th- this person in particular, actually one time uh, we were talking about things and he was, he was, a, he was a good guy and he was a smart guy, but he was really easy to spin up towards anything. And uh, he, he, he told me he, he, Confess that he's a follower uh, to me, which people don't usually say that. It like, I mean, people don't normally say that they're, they're followers out loud, uh, like because we're so programmed to say that, that, that that's wrong. Oh, you're supposed to be an independent thinker or whatever. But most people are followers, but not many people say that they're followers. But he's like, yeah, I'm a follower. I'm not a leader. You know, like, and so he actually said that out loud. And I was like, hmm, interesting. Because, I mean, to someone like you and I, and this kind of, is what I was thinking while you're talking about, you know, looking at trying to understand a thing. And I was thinking in the same way that not every man is going to want to transvaluate values. Uh, most people don't want to do that much research. They don't want to do that much research and thinking that's why yeah. all the below information voters in America, but like, you know, in terms of there are a lot of people who aren't going to do that. Uh, level of work and and right. 
understanding that they exist is also understanding society. And that's, and that's makes it interesting because like you and I have both been through this cycle of the things that you're describing and uh, like, Oh, I thought I hated this, but then I was like, ah, you know, or or these people almost got me, but but then I was like, wait, you're also full of shit. Uh, You know, like, you know, like there's, we've both been down the road, uh, several of those roads uh, at at different times in our lives. And, uh, and then we just realized that they were wrong. And that also there was no advantage to like, be, their side isn't going to win, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, in both cases, I think, you know, like we, it's a, the new atheists are the same thing. You know, it's like, oh, 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 religion is bad. Well, you're wrong and you suck. And, and yeah, I've, I've been actually, I've been out. A little, I've changed my opinions about certain things. a lot. Many things, not at all. And uh, certain things a lot. You know, like, uh, but I, I've gone through a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah, I remember being more probably on the, like, the people who would be the MAGA people now. I remember being around those people at a different time of my life and, and believing all the lives, lies that they believe, uh, you know, about the world and so forth. And, and so uh, it is interesting to, you know, see what's real after you keep shaking it, you know, like for, for a long time. But you have to, that takes a lot of work. Yeah. And I think it really this is if if there's any advantage to philosophy that I I try to impart to people, it is in practicing that slowing down, practicing that like let's take a step back and let's let's instead of knee jerk, uh, just like BTFOing, you know, bitch slapping someone in a social media comment thread um, because it feels good on your team, like if you pause and take their argument seriously, even if you don't necessarily reply, um, it can, it can avoid the, both of the traps of um, like being misled into a group or being misled by a reaction into some other alternative group, which is very much a thing that happens. Uh, <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Well, yeah. Like everybody, yeah. when they convert, they convert hard. And that it, into anything, like uh, when people convert to Christianity, they're the first one who are gonna be like, "You're going to hell," and, you yeah. know, you know, like regular Christians who are brought up with it, they're like, "Oh well, this seems like a nice guy," and oh, he should probably find Jesus, but whatever. And yeah. you know, it's the ones who just convert that are like, "You're going to hell," and and the same yeah. thing with literally everything. You're like, it's like you know, some guy was like hated this other group of people his whole life. He's like a little chill, and the guy who just found out about me yesterday, oh my god, he's so mad. Uh, but what made me laugh as you were saying that is I probably should never say this out loud, but, uh, I had a moment the other day I was on the elliptical and I was going through my favorite soundtrack uh, for meditation for years and years now has been, uh, Wallace from, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, there's just something about it that's perfect. And I was like, I was trying to make a playlist of things that sounded like Wallace so I could stay in that zone. And all I'm, I'm going through like shows like Mr. Robot and like the soundtracks to all these like shows about that. And all the th- themes were transhumanist themes because I like like weird techno that sounds kind of like the stuff that they like. And I'm like, 
am I just not seeing the inevitable? Am I being drawn to like <laughs> down towards the singularity? And like, <laughs> am I just fighting like an unfightable fight? <laughs> I'm like on the elliptical thing of like, is our whole thing about transhuman just us trying too hard? Is it coming? With <laughs> like, I'm having this moment about this just because I, I do do that. I question myself as to like, what it, 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 am I, is this a good position? Is this, is this tenable position? Is it, is it viable? Uh, you know, um, yeah, so I, I thought that was funny, but that's, that's the kind of thing you have to kind of do for all this stuff. Do I really, do I, it, it, maybe they have a point. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and the thing to balance that affect with, because people who are too, who are too open, ask right. me how I know, um, can be pushed into, uh, pushed by really, really, really certain and assertive and sociable people and saying, no, 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 this is real. You've got to believe this. And part of being open is putting extra breaks on the beliefs of people who act very, very certain. Um, right. Doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong, but like uh, it, it can be very easy for people who are very open-minded and uh, not to, not to point fingers, but um, I see this a lot in the, the psycho not world. Um, uh, who are willing to go and adopt positions um, with an open-mindedness, but but without an equal openness to the alternative positions, to the counter-arguments. Yeah. And, and so you, you have to be open in, in both sides because the goal is not to just demonstrate your openness by adopting wonky, eccentric, and quirky positions, but it's to like try to find the best position and the most practical and functional place for the things that you care about. Um, which arguably brings us back to the whole love and hatred and, um, and maybe to the biggest criticism of the book. Cause again, it wasn't, it, I think it's probably the least well-written of my books, despite being the most popular. <laughs> um, is it the most popular? Uh, yes, it is. Um, oh, well, of course, cause it, it's the title, man. Yeah, <laughs> very catchy title. Yeah, um, I should have given it something blander. Uh, yeah. Keep philosophy boring and all that. But um, the uh, one of the the more uh, consistent criticisms I've gotten is I I claimed that people, you know, you can't hate an idea, and there's obviously a sense in which that's not true. There's obviously a sense in which you can hate an idea. Men, there are millions of people in America who are like. Are you talking about I hate communism or I hate fascism or you know whatever. Um, but that always like when we're talking about holding hatred as something evil, when we're talking about hatred in the sense of something that you should purge from your soul, we're talking about hatred of individuals and of people. And when and when people talk about hating fascists ideology, they're mostly talking about hating fascist individuals or people they want to label as fascist. Same with communism. Um, you know, what's it like to kill a person? I don't know. I've only killed communists. Same idea. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, and we laugh because we're, we're sort of demonstrating. Because they're not people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. right. right. But, but, but seriously, that, that, they're going like, to play this as they shoot me. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but that's the, but that's the temptation. Yeah. Um, and and that does seem to be how it works out. And I don't know if it's psychologically possible to actually retain 
real hatred of an idea without that spreading over into hatred of the people who identify with and who support that idea. They're not, they're not actually different in, in practice, maybe. Um, one that reminds me of, um, it's love the sinner, hate the sin. Yes. That's, yes. That's almost, they're asking, you're asking them to do the same thing. It they're asking me to do idea. the impossible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because, um, if my hypothesis is correct, that hatred is essentially a form of disgust. Um, I was inspired by a particular psychologist named David Bizarro, who had been doing a lot of research on disgust, particularly. Mm -hmm. And what he noticed was that disgust was extremely unusual in its contagiousness. Right. Um, disgust spreads by contact. So if you are... If I am angry at uh, my friend Fred, yes, and then and then uh, another friend of mine goes and talks with Fred, I'm not now angry at my friend who talked with Fred. I'm still only angry at Fred. But if I am disgusted with Fred, yeah, and one of my friends goes and hangs out with Fred, and like Fred's an enemy, I'm now we have a contagious quality. Now this my friend who went and hung out with Fred is like also a little bit disgusting like hate worthy well it's and, like cancel culture kind of thing like oh, oh, oh well, that's because yeah that's because cancel culture is fueled by hatred um right it's the same it's the same idea so yeah no absolutely it, well in the sense of i've also experienced that with totally different people who are on right. very, only very exact opposite we, camp. we all have our uh experiences yeah. with this i imagine yes yes i mean but like you know if someone uh you know especially people who have a lot of enemies have a lot of people that you're not allowed to hang out with. Uh, yes. If you're going to be friends with them, you can't hang around with all these people that they've made enemies with. Yes. And so that becomes a, that becomes a problem. But I, I, I checked in man, our commie, uh, I almost said our communist section. Our, our <laughs> communist, oh, you're not people. <laughs> we're, we're not communists but, because uh, we haven't censored the chat. Yeah, no, uh, no. We should be responding to these, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it looks like it's blowing up in there. I haven't, I haven't like read any of it yet. But let's 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 have a look and see what's in there, so we can so respond. One to of the guys. first ones, Aaron says, "Hate or is it protection of the individual and group identity that can't maintain form without police and counter ideas?" Which I think is a very important point. And sometimes hate actually is exactly that. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's the illusion of that. And the, the point in stepping back from hot hatred into cold hatred and, and trying to, to see if your hate is justified is to make sure that if you're going to take the time and energy to hate something, that it's grounded in uh, protecting something that is worth protecting. Yes. And then Alvis asks, quick question, mainly for Jack. Uh... Is method acting a good way to develop traits that you want from other famous men? I've never done method acting. Uh, I mean, it, it probably sounds, it sounds like a good idea, but uh, I, I've never I've never taken acting classes mostly because of acting people. Uh, it doesn't doesn't seem like a group of people that I fit in with very well. I lived in LA for a while. I, I've, I've hung out with a lot of actors. It didn't seem like it would be. Uh, I, I don't feel like I would be embraced and accepted and valued in, in that. In that circle, it sounds like an interesting experiment. Oh, 100 percent. I, I, I would love to actually do some acting stuff, but it would have, like I said, it have to be like the right group of people. It's a lot of 
don't know. I've heard all kinds of weird shit that like actors do. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like let's all like lay in a, in a cuddle ball and feel, you know, and shit like that. Like they do a lot of weird shit. If they were going to, if we were just going to like work on delivery of Shakespeare, then I'd be like, sign me up. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I don't see that there's a lot of that. Mick Tubis says that is the problem with men's spaces, isn't it? When you get two or more guys wanting to rearrange the space differently, we get conflicts. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's normal. I mean, I, yeah. that's well, men will break off into little groups and like, and fight each other. And that's what they are supposed to do. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's every, yeah, it's just everything forever. You know, like, uh, I mean, uh, it's, you know, people, you know, see that they're, they, they don't like the way something was handled and they want to go handle it differently and they think they can do better and maybe they can. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's, Ooh. that's what always happens. And then they make a name for themselves in their own little space. Yeah. John umbrella gives a really good comment. Uh, cool. the most shameful type of hatred is the silent hate against the brother who is succeeding. And although one might appear supportive secretly hates his success, that Nietzsche created an entire philosophical career around um, <laughs> called resentment or resentment. And yes, that is the most poisonous kind of hatred. It's not the only kind of hatred um, as we've talked about there, but it's a, it's a, that's an interesting one because resentment is, is actually a cold hatred, but a very, very poisonous one too. Yeah. I, I tried to say, I tried to argue that in 90% of cases, I am just making up numbers, the, the healthiest possible expression of hatred is to create distance between you and the thing that you hate. So uh, I have come to deeply hate uh, Seattle and Seattle culture <laughs> as a Washingtonian. Yeah. So I moved my family away. Yeah. That simple. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, but I like the specific uh, point that he mentioned because mm-hmm. uh, like uh, resentment is is this bigger thing, you know. Like uh, it's a, it's against it's it can be very abstract too. Because it can be against the ruling class or like something something beyond us. But he's talking about like a crabs in a bucket thing, like mm-hmm. where you have like your friend. It, it might, there's a Morrissey song like that goes perfectly with this. Like, don't we hate it when our friends become successful? Uh, you know, like it's something like that, and uh, that's it, it is. There is a little bit of that, and it's yeah. it, easy to become jealous and, of and, yeah. someone around you who's doing better, um, who you who you were supposed to be friends with. Because that's the different thing. Like, Resentiment could be directed about people that you were never supposed to be friends with. That's but true. Like, but He's someone talking who's about your envy, friend. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about frenemies, really. Yeah. Like, you know, like women have those all the time. I mean, they, they say that women oh, pretty much only have frenemies, but I don't know if that's true <laughs> or not. I don't talk to a lot of women about this, but. Um, you know, like, uh, you know, there's, there's friends that you generally are like, fucking great. I'm glad, but there is a certain level of like, okay, you made $2 million. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, all right, like, yeah, cool. Uh, you know, like <laughs> you start to get a little jealous. Like you're like, oh, okay. All right. All right. Nice, nice Maserati, buddy. You know, like <laughs> there's a, there's a certain level where it does become like, you know, like you don't want them to do that much better than you. Uh, you know, like it's it's a rare person who I think can swallow that. You know, like and uh, I think we were all, all probably maybe a little bit guilty of that. But uh, if in a certain situation, you know, like we were around that person all the time, you know, 
I think you just grow distant is the probably like you said that the probably the correct response to that is like just you know like not pretend to be that guy's best best friend anymore yeah. you know like uh, if that's yeah. the case and you can't or or do the classic uh, second born thing which is to uh, as opposed to the firstborn uh, just to derive your identity from something else if your yeah. friend becomes a multimillionaire yeah you can you know feel like envious and like deep like hidden resentment and want to undermine them in weird ways um or you can be like oh wow this is awesome they're super wealthy now and i'm still the like funny social one uh yeah. he can like buy me drinks and i can wingman for him at bars and we can be we can be like compensating for each other in in some way now yeah, that I think requires if you if you were never in competition with that person in that in that area yeah like yeah. there are people who do good at things that i know i don't want to do and then that's fine. I'm never going to be jealous of them for doing well at the things that I do. I know that I don't want to do, right. <laughs> you know, but you know, if you, if we were both doing the same thing together and then like, you know, like, uh, 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 Oh, and then I'm, I'm not making it. And you're making it. I think for yeah. a lot of people that that would be difficult. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I can't say that I've had that happen, but like, I, I can see that I can see that where that would, that would grow into like, you know what I think does that is women. I think yeah. more. Else. It's, it's not money it's not like property or having a nicer gun or a nicer car it's it, it feels like most of the time it's it's like two guys that want the same girl um, oh yeah i mean well you can't you can't like that's one of those like a lot of dudes if they're re if they're both really into the same girl the idea that they're gonna like one of them is just you gonna can't be, be like, friends yeah it's not gonna happen i mean that's that's it like just give it he's gonna give it up and not be be sour about it like, uh, you know, that's, that's probably your, yeah, you're right. That's one of those places where it probably doesn't go away. But uh, what else do we got in there? They, like, they seem like uh, most of it, most of it was them talking through how to become a better person. Um, okay. And, and, and talking about how, you know, setting challenges and stuff. They said some positive things about your books, which is cool. Um, yeah. Sky without Eagles in particular. Uh, <laughs> oh, the one I put on pull out of print. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, he, becoming he, a barbarian. Oh, and a sky without eagles. So both. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Someone got my favorite thing. So that's good. Excellent. Yeah. So um, I don't know that it, it. To me, the whole point. It's it's fun to have these comments. The, the comments are sort of what it's about. I suppose to go back to the beginning and the the impetus, not just for talking about this, but for for writing a book in defense of hatred. Yeah. Came down to because someone. I can't remember even what the question was, but I ended up having to explain the whole purpose of in defense of hatred was mm -hmm. like, there seemed to be this censorship apparatus that had been put into place. And hate speech was one of two primary justifications for censorship, for yeah. um, preventing people from being able to speak. Really? And, yeah. Well, well the last few years we've seen the other one pop up. Hate speech was one. The other one is harm. Mm -hmm. um, and harm is, it's, it sounds related. It's a slightly different justification for, for censorship. It's, a, it's actually an older justification for censorship. But hate speech was kind of the more spiritual, moralistic justification for censorship. Um, and, and we really saw the, the harm justification, I think, in, in 2020, 2021, um, it, all the way through 2022. You know, with medical disinformation. Oh yeah, the, yeah that sure. that kind of thing. Yeah, but um, 
I mean, hate speech was being used, especially in the uh, the twenty teens, and who um, as justification for censorship in schools and universities, um, and in and, and in other places as well. And so it, it felt very important to say that a this is nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, it, like philosophically, this doesn't make sense if you want to if you want to embrace love. And there are there are many debates, usually within the religious sphere, um, about that. And Christopher Hitchens was really the champion of that. But um, but but also like, it's good to remember that some things really are worth loving so much that you'd be willing to to hate over. But the number of those things, Your family, yes. You're exactly. Right. <laughs> the number of those things is a lot lower, mm-hmm. and the scale of them is probably a lot smaller than what a lot of perhaps very public pundits want you to think it is. And by the way, those pundits are often the ones who are at the forefront of challenging and criticizing hatred. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the whole thing is. Um, really the whole subject feels like an exercise in let's cool down and think through this a little bit and suddenly things become clarified and censorship loses a little bit of its power and we can talk more (laughs) because we're not censored um and uh and think about what what is what is worth loving and 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 worth is so valuable that it would be worth defending yeah, well, we talked about this a little earlier, and I, I, I challenged you a little bit on in uh, your intra- Instagram story about hate yes. and abstract. And I was like, I, yes. I feel like, or loving the abstract. I think mm. loving the abstract because I'm like, I mean, I feel like that's like I'm, I was trying to think of. I wasn't thinking of America specifically. Uh, yeah, that, that one. We were, we were just. I guess we'll give you a little some context. What is, you know, is you were saying that a lot of uh, love for a thing is more about fear of the opposite thing or fear of fear of fear of what would happen if that was gone. Sometimes. Yes. Um, Sometimes. But I suppose a counter example would be Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. Uh, Because I, I never met Christopher Hitchens Mm -hmm. and what I saw of him was a, a snapshot of his life, a very small sliver of the totality of his life. Right. Um, what I love in Hitchens is sort of more of an idea than the person. Um, so there's a sense, there's a sense in which that's an idea, I suppose, but it's not, it would be, I guess what I'm thinking of when I talk about abstractions is like people who talk about when they, when they love democracy. Like there's no there's no picture in their head of what they mean when they're saying that. They're right. just doing the Orwell thing where the the sentences construct themselves in a sort of a chat GPT kind of way where yeah. what word follows from this word in my head. It sounds good. Everybody thinks that that's what that means. Yeah. 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 Well, you yeah have and that's the democracy. Like what what else would you put? What other word word would you put after we have to defend our blank? You know, it's it's just an ad lib. Right. Uh, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I think there's a lot of that when people talk about what they love um, it, in abstractions. Um, it's it's tricky because but because there really are actual ideals that not only don't exist anymore, but either never existed or haven't existed yet. And this right. is this is the 
maybe the allure of utopianism, and I'm, I'm not trying to be denigrating it in this case. Uh, <laughs> uh, we can denigrate utopianism later, but like, right. you know, that's a that that's not an intrinsically blameworthy thing to feel, nor is it like not real. No people. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole thing I'm talking about. Is we're, we're, yeah, like I said that the people that I w didn't like mm -hmm. had were too attached to what they hated and not enough to a positive vision for the future. And so a positive right. vision of the future is actually what I think culturally the, the left has. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they have had now, whether it's viable or the people who are running them actually want that or all kinds of different things. But if you were talking about like, if you think of the power of, of music over the past, like mm -hmm. uh, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, since really like, you know, the sixties, uh, all the songs about how we're all going to live together as one, all the uh, things about how we're going to like, I mean, uh, great songs. They make you happy as hell. Like, like, uh, you know, you heard, I'm like, if, if people knew I was jamming out to this or that, you know, like, they're, they're like, they're like people holding it. Like there's all these, like these great songs that are so happy and so whatever, but they're all based on this political idea that I don't really agree with that is real. Yeah. But, but like, um, they had this vision that was like uplifting. Have and you heard they were, they were moving towards that? And that's something that they cared about. And that was really a motivating thing. It wasn't just what they hated, but it was yeah. like, let's move. They had this almost Gnostic vision of how everybody's going to hold hands and be, be like one yeah. in, you know, the whole world will live as one and all this, but the, the, yeah. And, and there's so many people who picked up on that and made music about it, made, made that all these things that had this vision uh, and they do care about it. You like, I think more than the people that they hate, uh, you know, like I, I don't, and, and the same thing I would say for me, you know, the thing we're trying to create with the order flyer, one of the things that we're talking about a lot, so much of our philosophical discussion is, well, if this is bad, then what is better? Mm. Like, what is better than what is bad? And so like we, by moving towards our idea of what is better, that's our direction that we care about. Like, okay, yeah. well, this is better. This is a good idea. It's not just, just because of what is bad, because that is obviously that's something that we are concerned about. But right, but if we have to have an idea that's better to move towards, well, let me let me bring up the quintessential example because it, it just came to mind what I was, what I was talking about some some hours right. ago when we were talking about abstractions and loving abstractions. The quintessential example is, of course, John Lennon. Imagine. Well, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, but but as a slight tangent, have you heard a Perfect Circles minor key rendition of that? No, very good, very creepy. Um, they just they just put it in a minor key and sing it differently, and it the whole song changes um, without any of the lyrics changing. Um, but uh, I mean, if you read the lyrics, you know, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Um, but it's it's all framed in terms of what you're escaping. It's all framed in terms of the True. things that they dislike that they're afraid of. Um, nothing to kill or die for and no religion too, which is, you know, linked with killing and dying in their mind. And so their attachment to communism is, is born out of a, a frustration with and, and a fear of, or perhaps hatred of, and I'm not trying to conflate those two. It could, it could be either one or, or both at different times. Cause there's a whole other conversation to have about hatred and fear and the relationship between those two. 
uh, which I address in the book. But uh, like it's the it's the fear of violence and conflict or the hatred of conflict right. that, that motivates the love of the abstraction. If I don't have this, then we'll be faced with this very not abstract negative experience. And right. so much of political punditry is exactly this. Oh, absolutely. It's the creation of very visual, very visceral negative experiences repeatedly and saying the only way out of that is our thing. Now, our thing is very abstract, you know, and even if it's not, uh, it's not as compelling for the reasons we went over before, you know. Right. Um, but dis the disgust and the hatred is what puts a, a, like gasoline on that fire and creates unity. And, and so when, when I express skepticism towards love of abstractions, it's within that context, but you're right. right. They're, they're definitely all, like, that's not the only kind of abstraction that people can express. Um, yeah. I mean, it's know, definitely there. I mean, I feel that way about the political stuff that you're talking about. And it was making me think, I guess it's been bringing around in my head lately. Um, Listen to a little bit of Tim Pool in a day, and you'll you'll <laughs> you'll be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, just I try not to look at that stuff on X, but uh, it, it is, uh, you know, if you hear, it, it's doomsaying. It, it's it's it, it's like the cirrus from the the, the Voluspa, uh, you know, like and uh, you know, they just keep saying like the the like they like over and over again. Like, would you yet know more? Like you know, about how terrible it's going to be? Would you? Are you sure you want to know more? And like, just feed you, uh, feed you things about uh, uh, how bad it's going to be. And uh, the thing is, with with those particular people, uh, it's like, well, what is your track record of actually stopping any of those things? Uh, or what do you? Uh, you don't. Your resume sucks, basically. Uh, like Republicans, okay. Yeah, your resume sucks, buds. Uh, but uh, um, all those things are bad. Yes, but your resume sucks. But when I was when I responded to it, what, to your comment there, what I was actually thinking was um, my relationship with masculinity, mm, which yes, is really my whole career. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, this is what I've cared about for my whole career. Is it because of something that? I mean, obviously, I got involved in it because I saw the absence of it being possible. Uh, you know, be I, I saw it being threatened, and I thought it was something good that I shouldn't be threatened. So, I mean, that is there. Was it that way? It wasn't, it's not like, cause I hate them. I hate them queers. And, 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 and the fact it's, it, it, it's because it like, you know, I, I, I really think it was because I thought something like it was good that or, I or, first. Well, was it, I, I have a, a sort of a phenomenological question. Okay. Was it, was it the idea of masculinity that was attractive or yes. was it, or was it, a number of individuals that you looked up to as, as heroes or like, these are admirable people like these. I want to be like that. That's the, these people redeem the world. And then you found a name for unifying features of this constellation of great people. That's, that's a really good question. I didn't know it was multiple choice at first. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but no, uh, honestly, I would say probably more of an idea. Uh, in okay. terms of, I don't know that there was, I mean, because it wasn't real people. 
necessarily. It wasn't like, it wasn't like I only got into George Washington a few years ago. I mean, it wasn't like George Washington. Yes, he, he was masculine. Therefore, we have to say masculine. It was more like. Um, so they didn't. You're, you're saying these myths and ideas, and they're like this this idea. So they didn't I, sit you down and like clockwork orange you in front of John Wayne for. No, no one, no one did that. There are people who believe that that actually happened, but uh, like uh, it was the, uh, the, the joke about the feminist obsession with John Wayne. So. Oh yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent, yeah, yeah, they would really believe that. But uh, no, I mean, I really think it was a slow coming of like this is a this is a thing. It's a unifying thing. A lot of it was fictional. I, I, you know, like it would be more like you really you reading the Iliad and realizing we need to save masculinity. <laughs> like, it, it would be more like I think for that that's closer to what my experience was. It is like okay. all this literature that I was reading that I hadn't liked it as a kid. And then I, I saw this thing. And then, yeah, you do see it when you start to see it in real men in real life. And you realize that it's a real thing and it's not fiction. I mean, but it's not necessarily that I idolized anybody that I felt like I needed to see that person, that, 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 what that person represents. I don't think that that happened. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People always, people always speculate about that kind of stuff with me. Like, I, what I, they think, you know, and at some point, it, it becomes challenging to uh, excavate. It becomes kind of a chicken and egg thing or a, like, uh, you know, what's the phenomenological difference in our experience between uh, like a parent or a friend in our real life and a fictional character in a book, um, you know, in terms of ideals and, and takeaways. But... Um, and when there's also this quote that someone said to me once, and I forget who actually like it's attributed to, but uh, that as you walk through, as you go through the past, you keep leaving footprints there over and over again mm -hmm. uh, from the present. So we slowly kind of rewrite our idea about what our past is over. Yes. Time. Yes. And so like we, we narrate our own stories and kind of edit as we go back and that becomes what happened. I'm not saying that I'm lying or like that, yeah. that's the way it happened. No, no, for sure. I'm not saying that that's yeah. not how it happened, but I'm saying that like it is hard after when you get 10 years, 15, 20 years into a thing, like people always ask me, what was the moment that you decided to do that? I'm like, I don't know. It's not like I had a car accident and like became a superhero or something. It's like it, it was a it was a slow like realization of things. Right. Yeah. Well, and I suppose it would be relevant actually to bring up the 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 person of interest in our conversation earlier, um, which was Stefan Molyneux, one of the oh, yeah. OG banned for hate speech characters yeah. <laughs> on the internet. Um, for, uh, I followed Stefan Molyneux very closely for like four or five years. Um, yeah. I would like, listen to him more than anyone else. So I have my Hitchin stage and I have my, my Molyneux phase okay. and I've had a, a few others, but um the thing about Molyneux, and it took me a while to realize that, is that um, you know he 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 speaks with an almost romantic love for philosophy, like oh. he's very very attached to it. But the more you listen to his shows and his description of his childhood and his upbringing and his relationship right. with his uh, crazy and abusive mother, you realize Stefan Molyneux, um, like his hero Ayn Rand. Oh. Uh, his love of a positive thing began with a hatred of a negative thing. Mm -hmm. Ayn Rand became a libertarian because she hated communism. Like yes. She came out of Russia and she's like, this is awful. What's the opposite of that? 
Right. Um, which as I've, I've, I keep bringing up Curtis Yarvin because he's so good and articulate at demonstrating the dangers of that logic. Um, the opposite of one bad thing is not necessarily by definition, a good thing. Um, but I think with Stefan Molyneux, uh, the, the opposite of crazy uh, abuse was dedication to reason and philosophy. So the, the love of the abstraction, which is philosophy, like I know philosophy, it's literally in the name, philosophia, love of wisdom, but right. uh, like that's a, that's a, a borrowing of the sense of, you know, philosophy isn't actually phileo, you know, it's not the same thing. Right. And the, um, the love of philosophy for Stefan Molyneux and perhaps for Socrates and Plato and others in the past came from a, a fear of something or a hatred of something. And I, I say, or very intentionally, um, of something that's much more visceral of something that's much more, um, experiential. It's not just like conflict is not just an idea for yeah. Stefan Molyneux. It was his childhood. You know, right. craziness is not just an idea. It's like, well, that would be technically crazy. It's like, no, I was just abused for like some bullshit that didn't happen kind of thing. And yeah. so I think um, the uh, proper objects of love can be, can be visceral in that direct way, even if they aren't real. So like, my appreciation for a particular character in a story, like my, um, if I'm reading like a Kafka novel, you know, uh, Herr K trying to withstand the oppressive weight of this absurd bureaucracy, like that's a visceral experience. Now it's not real. It's not, um, it's not physically happening, but it's, it's, uh, not, it, it's an idea, but it's not an abstraction. If that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. I guess our, our impressions of people in the past, like Thomas Jefferson and um, George Washington, it's, it's funny reading Nietzsche. Nietzsche never met St. Paul. Um, he really, really, really hates St. Paul, uh, <laughs> but, but, but he never met him, but yeah. he doesn't have that hatred of Christianity. Like mm -hmm. he thinks Christianity is wrong and should be opposed and he gives his reasons why, but there's no, there's no feeling there. It's just like, it, it, this is, this is a non-starter for these reasons. But Paul, the person, Paul is not an abstraction, whereas right. in, in a way that Christianity kind of is. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll jump onto that. I, first, I want to make a joke about Socrates because it's. Oh, I'm, sure. Isn't there? Isn't there that quote about his? his it was his, his wife that turned him into a philosopher. <laughs> yeah, see, very. Someone. someone I, I saw that as soon as you brought it up. I was, I was, I was like, wait, Socrates, and yeah, and, yeah. Says, by all means, if you, uh, yeah. if you get a good wife, uh, you'll be happy, and if you get a bad wife, you'll become a philosopher. <laughs> so it was really all about a bad wife, yeah. uh, but uh, uh, it fits into the prayer. but. I, for, for full disclosure, I became a philosopher before I got married, so she's just oh, right. stuck with me now. So. That, that <laughs> and that yes, there you go. You have to you have to do that. Uh, but uh, no, it, as far as Christianity, that was one of the things I always felt 
you know, was in circles that were super anti-Christian. You know, like uh, there are people who came from Jehovah's Witnesses that were in those circles and they hated Christianity. Like, uh, and, and that was, oh, I, could, I hated living in, uh, and this is a weak hate, not a strong hate, but I, I uh, didn't like living in uh, a Salt Lake City. One of the problems with it was that you had the Mormons and then you had people who hated the Mormons who had bad Mormon experiences or my mom was a Mormon or my uncle was a Mormon. And they, they like, they, they had like hatred, like personal hatred towards Mormons. And like, I don't care. Like I don't, I can't, we can't bond over that. I, that's not my shared enemy. Like I, I like, I like a lot of Mormons They're They've been cool to me. Uh, I'm not going to be one. But like, uh, you know, I, I don't have that. I've ha I haven't had that visceral experience yeah. of hatred. And so like, we kind of can't be friends. If you're all you're going to do is complain about Mormons. Uh, I, you know? I'm actually an ideological enemy with Mormons and oh, really? uh, I still don't hate them. Well, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, committed to caffeine at this point. So. Oh, okay. Sorry. I admired them. I, like, yeah. I do. I do. I do. Yeah. No, no they're cool. Yeah, but, uh, no, I, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, I've never had that. I mean, I probably had it when I was younger. Uh, not, but not because I had a bad experience, but there are people who like grew up evangelical and they had bad Bible camps and like, were like, they've just had terrible experiences or like my, my grandfather swore. Now he, he didn't stop being Catholic. But like uh, he, he uh, definitely wasn't a, an avid churchgoer. Uh, but my my pappy, uh, he said that he because uh, he, he that nuns pushed him down the stairs <laughs> when he was a kid in a Catholic because he he had to go to Catholic school or whatever. And so he, he was like the fuck the nuns push you down the stairs like like yeah. <laughs> you know and that's, like a, and that's and that but and that's what began as a hatred of individuals. Yeah. Or resentment of individuals sort of like, what's the term? It's sort of, it's, what's the, it's the opposite of reification. Sort of like a, or an abstract thing or concrete thing becomes abstract. Uh, basically it, it becomes a hatred of Christianity more broadly or Catholicism yeah. or whatever. Like they're but all that way. They're but all, it, like, they're all that way. Yeah. It becomes projected onto the, 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 the you know, sins of that one person become projected onto everybody. Um, right, or, but it, it didn't begin that way. Right, exactly. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying with that. That that, that definitely uh, that definitely makes sense. And uh, so, I guess another bit of practical advice is like, I guess when in terms of protecting your your heart and your brain from getting hacked, is you can see certain bits of propaganda that depict um, the other side in particular ways. Um, it's very easy to, to think of examples and the right, the, the left doing this with MAGA people, depicting them all as like obese Walmart goers, um, the guns saying yeah, dumb yeah. things. Um, and, and the right does this too with, with like Antifa, you know, it's very easy to do to depict all leftists as these like, like slinky college kids who don't shower and so on and so forth. It's very easy to do. And that's a that's an invitation to associate disgust with um, a group and a side more broadly. Yeah, um, I'm sitting here searching my mind, like, but where is the lie? I feel like that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the that's the thing too, is because 
Have you been to a, a Walmart recently? Yes. So were, was there anyone at the Walmart who would, which, who would have validated the leftist propaganda about MAGA people? hundred percent. Although if you go to Walmart in a major city, it's actually fairly ethnic. Well, uh, right. Yeah. You can, <laughs> you, you can find what, what the left is saying. Is. That's like the, the, yeah. the propaganda works. works. Like yeah. it works because it, it's right some of the time. And oh, so yeah. every, every, every confirmation becomes yeah. confirmation of the portrayal of the whole. And, and right. you see this like in, with um, like divorce statistics too. Yeah, there's like the asymmetry and what's memorable and, and so forth. But yeah, I, I can think of many instances where that is the case. Yes. Yeah, uh, that, that is it. Yeah. I was just with that specific one. I was like, oh, that really has been my experience. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's hard because disgust yeah. makes our minds kind of hackable and manipulable. But on the other hand, you don't want to fully get rid of your disgust response. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think this is one of yeah. the things that the right has right or or certain sections of that has been like, you know, if there's a dude walking around in a harness down the street and in front of kids, like you should probably be disgusted by that. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, would you believe okay. me? Would you yeah. believe me if I told you that there is research on uh, disgust reactions generally uh, and it falls down very uh differently on political sides. Oh, really? Okay. It's actually, it's actually, it's actually almost the most powerful personality predictor of political affiliation is disgust reaction. Leftists on the whole, and this might explain the Antifa thing uh, that you've experienced, uh, have a very low disgust response, much lower disgust response. And people who tend to be conservative tend to have a much higher disgust response. Yeah. So there's a chicken and the egg thing there, like a little bit. I mean, is that like, you know, that that would be my next question is what comes from what? You know, yeah. like, is, it, is it like, have they been that way since they were children? Is it like it's a, did they grow up in a yeah. household? Or can like, you, can you, you know, make someone, can you change someone's disgust response with ideology? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. I know. Pro that's probably. Fact. <laughs> I, I, I like I, I'm pretty I mean well because yeah, I mean some of the circles that you and I have been in like you, you it, somebody gets in with that that circle and then they you like they get disgusted to well, hey that doesn't mean that they never had a disgust response before but I, I mean they they yeah. get things to be disgusted what triggers by. it huh? yeah what triggers it yeah I, it's I'd have to think more about that yeah I'm, I mean it's I'm just, suddenly yeah, wondering yeah. now how relevant all those studies are Oh, yeah. Yeah. So say you're like, where does that come from? Because if you're if you're brought up with the same thing, like okay, say you're conservative, you're brought you're brought up in a household where we all, you know, everyone around you in your neighborhood, in your cul-de-sac or whatever, has the same pretty much values, the same like whatever, da, 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 da. and you've been taught all your life. You you brush your teeth, you, you, you take a shower every day, you do you like there's a certain way you dress, and da, 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 da. and then you see uh, you know, this, you know, this dude who looks like Jesus. Um, <laughs> so right. I can two birds with one stone. Uh, like, uh, uh, you see this dude that looks like Jesus, this dirty little like creep, and and then you uh, you're like, <sighs> well, he goes against every value that you've been taught your entire life. Um, you know, like so, is that really you know, 
you know, like that, that was groomed into you, that response to a certain extent, you know, but uh, with other things, I don't know if that's always, you know, the case, you know, like we're, did the, in terms, did, did uh, learning to be more open and more like le less hateful, uh, did that make people turn down their disgust response? You know, like, don't judge, like, don't be okay. But uh, is your sound messed up? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Oh. Um, okay. No, I'm just, just uh, thinking about that. It's, um, okay. <laughs> it's, it's one of those, it's one of those, I think you're right. It's one of those chicken and egg things that could go either way. I, I have a hard time imagining anyone having no disgust response at right. all because it's like one of the things that's kept us alive for millions of years, like before we were human beings. Well, um, think of the programmed disgust response of vegans and vegetarians. Yes. Well, this is people to, look at you like, <laughs> like I yeah. can't believe you're eating meat. Oh my god! You know, like this performative fucking thing. But I mean, it's it's got to be real to a certain extent. It's, it can't just all be performative. Right. Well, and it goes back to the David Pizarro point about it being um, contagious. Yeah, Things oh, yeah. can be made to disgust you. Oh, yeah. So maybe, everybody, everybody around you yeah. is disgusted by it. Like, you're going to absorb that. And, like, I'm going to be disgusted by it, too, because that must be what's disgusting. You know, like, a, that must be what's disgusting. That's like, I'm <laughs> uh, But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, that's an, that's an interesting thing to dig down. Like, yeah, I don't know if there is an answer that you could be sure about. Because uh, that's the thing with studying like human psychology in so many ways. It's like there's so many variables that happen over lifetimes. And it's so much input that you get, like so much input uh, that it's hard to say, say sometimes. But uh, yeah, but yeah, interesting, interesting thought. And more, more, more stuff to explore. I, I had, I had just kind of accepted like, oh, yeah, you know, the difference between conservative disgust and liberal disgust. But um, the, yeah. if you ever want to see a visceral disgust reaction in a person, show a liberal a picture of Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. And there you go. And, and it's like the whole the whole premise of the liberal conservative disgust response hypothesis sort of breaks down right in front of you. Oh, yeah. Especially especially because it also. It, that because it, like the the idea of the dirty hippie leftist person whatever uh doesn't really account for the people who actually are you know carrying the most weight in that area those are the people who like you know riot on the streets and are act silly but the people who uh you know your average like blue city Democrat person who goes to work every day and is clean and is like taken care of and whatever. Um, I don't ever think of them as being far leftist necessarily. I think the far less is being like in college, but uh, the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the average person who has that Trump response that you would say um, their response to him is discussed based, based on um, elitism. Yes. Um, yes. because they are the new conservatives. And, uh, and, and so like, yes, that's just like, he, he's a vulgar man. He, he's vulgar. He's improperly educated. Uh, the person I'm going to see tomorrow, I have had, uh, uh, an old friend of mine. Uh, we have had many long arguments about, because he insists that Trump is stupid. 
like like actually physically re- like stupid. Oh man. Like, and I'm like, but he runs all these companies and like da, 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 da. I mean, he's certainly at least as smart as me. Uh like I mean, I'm not saying that he's like that doesn't mean that he's good or bad or anything like that, but I, I feel like he's fairly accomplished individual who who, Trump, who has a yeah. lot of balls in the air that he's juggling at any given time. I, I don't feel like he's dumb. And he's like, no, he's dumb. <laughs> like, yeah. like, yeah. like could not let it go. And this is a very smart person. Yeah. It comes from a very good family and it's like, but a, a very liberal family and like whatever. Very smart person. But he was like, no, no, there's no way. He's retarded. <laughs> yeah. And so that's a, that's a disgust response that comes from like like clean upper class people like who are just like he's vulgar, you know like he he's he's just not one of us, yeah <laughs> you know. And and these are the people who think that you're automatically smart if you have like a received pronunciation accent or or like a, an Oxford accent. Oh yeah, um, that will that that will. Uh, the, well, it was like that tweet that you sent from um, uh, what's the guy, uh, the the journalist who was going after Douglas Murray. So Americans are just suckers for anyone. <laughs> Glenn Greenwald, there we go. Just yeah. suckers for anyone with an English accent, and he just viscerated. I I like Douglas Murray, um, yeah. but uh, like on on this point, Douglas Murray was very clearly wrong, and Glenn Greenwald was very clearly correct extra burn because because uh glenn greenwald is gay and he was like <laughs> and he and he sounds slightly gay <laughs> <laughs> it was just like it was just an extra like and, yeah. you know, and uh <laughs> it was just an interesting conversation but uh yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, there is that they are suckers for there are signals and this is where then then some of the intersectionality criticism become correct. As a sad Hitchens fan uh, on the point of English pronunciation, but anyways, yeah. But yeah. but there, there's a it, it, this is where like you could actually get into like believing some of the intersectionality stuff in, in, in sense of like uh, uh, pronunciation and the ability to speak well is you know comes down through your family a lot of times uh, because you've been taught to speak a certain way. You're yes. like, yeah, I mean, this is how your parents speak and they're, they are college educated people and they speak in complete sentences and often paragraphs. And uh, <laughs> if you grew up in a trailer park, you do not know how to talk like that. And if you grew up in a ghetto, you do not know how to talk like that. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you have not been raised to, you have to learn to speak like that. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. I was like, that um, was like, uh, you know, I, I've, I've gotten into speech patterns just from talking to my dogs. I only talk to my dogs half the time. And so like my speech pattern has gotten, I like, I, I don't, I don't know whether it's Bruder's voice or mine. Like a lot of times I'm just walking around, I'm talking like this and it's Bruder's voice. And then Spaggy talks like this, cause like Daniel Jackson. And I'm like, yeah. and so they've, got, they've gone into my, like they've become part of my speech patterns. Oh yeah. <laughs> And, no, uh, I, I will say, I will say, listening to Christopher Hitchens' yeah. debates and speeches on repeat had an effect on my speaking. Um, the same thing with Stefan Molyneux. Yeah, and then uh, I start listening to Curtis Yarvin, uh, who I love his writing uh, and his ideas are excellent. But if you listen to him speak, uh, there's a lot more ums and uhs, and it's a lot uh, less clear. It's a lot less just. Um, coherent not not in terms of the ideas and the semantic meaning but in terms of the literal language the way he speaks off the cuff and 
you, there is a little bit of a, a you become what you do thing. But I, to your point, I think a lot of English private schools historically, not just in the last hundred years, but in the last like 500 years was about teaching students the signs and signals of being upper class. Mm-hmm. And America has become uh, that too. There was a hilarious post um, by a black gentleman who went to an Ivy League school. And he, his, he said, you know, in my experience, in my observations, you know, anti-white rhetoric was a upper class white signaling phenomenon. It was jockeying for, I think this was in a Matthew Crawford essay. I could pull it up. He's like, it seemed to be a status jockeying signal, like having received pronunciation to speak in subtle anti-white language was white people jockeying with each other for status in the upper class. It was never supposed to reach the minorities <laughs> where, it, where, it, where it became literalized. Like, oh, yeah, I see these arguments. Like, no, no, no. It was never meant philosophically. It was all just a social game. Um, right. So right. It, was, uh, it, was, it was funny to see how these, like, the, the, the class signaling things and the, um, and the actual content of the ideas sort of merge and come from strange places. Um, I'll, yeah. have to, I'll have to go back and find that. It was funny. Yeah, no, I think I think I think I remember you bringing it up at one point before. It's it's like a well, and and to the same point, because I while I am not upper class by any stretch of the imagination, I was raised in a nice middle class, now lower middle class uh, family, um, and as I always call them, hobbits. Uh, <laughs> and if I have to go get a job. Or something like that. I mean, I can speak Hobbit. You know, I can I can go and, and speak. I can speak middle class. Fine. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I can I can say yes, officer. Is that what, what, what's the problem? Uh, have <laughs> I done something wrong? <laughs> you know, like. Uh, and whereas if you have someone who maybe wasn't raised like that, they, they're going to actually start a fight before there's a fight. And uh, you know, but I can speak bureaucrat and and to a certain degree. You know enough yes. to get me by. I, I'm a nice fellow. I can I, I can be a nice fellow and go to the bank and do the things. Yes, uh, you know I like to think so, I can do that too. I'm I'm very solidly like middle lower middle class. I suppose the the, the lines keep changing of where those are, but um yeah, oh, they're, they're I, I work in, right now. I yeah. work I, in construction I think I'm now, deep lower class. <laughs> yeah, but like I mean, but if you yeah. work in construction, like as as Curtis Yarvin has pointed out, you know, someone said, oh, like I'm. Uh, I'm poor because I've only got, you know, X amount of money in your bank class. And he says it, it was like some, some college kid in Ivy League school who was like, you know, struggling with debt. And Curtis Yard says, no, you're not poor. You're broke. Poor is a class. Broke yeah. is a, 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 an amount of money that you have. And so yeah. there are lots of there are lots of people who are broke, but who are not poor. And conversely, there are lots of poor people. In the, in the class sense of the term, who are multimillionaires. Yeah. Um, going back to the class thing. And yeah. I think maybe that's the point of these, these left-wing people who are insistent that Donald Trump is dumb because dumb actually has nothing to do with IQ. Maybe dumb has everything to do with class. And it, d- Trump speaks like the lower class, so he's not smart. Mm-hmm. Um, smart is like how Obama speaks. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and it reminds me of the same thing. And, 
you know, like I think I've mentioned it before. It's over now, I, the, the series. But the, the, um, we were watching that show, uh, The Gilded Age. I think I might have brought it up once before. I don't know. Uh, in this or some call or something. But uh, uh, The Gilded Age, which is basically a show about society people in New York at the, the you know turn of the century at railroad age. It was ba basically railroad tycoons, but it was really about, it was kind of like by the guy who did Downton Abbey. So it was really about their households and the their servants and like the dramas and the, the women and whatever. But the, the whole thing of the show was basically the upper class New Yorkers keeping out the new like industrial wealth like mm. that was coming through. Because you know, nouveau they, riche, yeah, yeah, exactly. The nouveau riche, like we can't, they can't get a seat at the Academy of Music, you know. Like and I can, and like, this is my, this yeah. is my bid to pass in the upper class. I want to be upper class passing because I can say the word nouveau riche. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you, I mean, well, that's that's traditionally been uh, a hallmark of. Uh, uh, the upper class is you know, speak a little bit of French, you know, <laughs> you know, and probably goes back to like Normans and stuff. But uh, you know, it, it speak a little bit of French, bring that over, whatever. Uh, but uh, anyway, we should probably wrap this up yeah. now. Well, there is a nice little little uh, bow tie we can put on this, tying it back to hatred and being controlled by hatred and class, because yes. I think a lot of the opposition to hatred comes from this upper class perhaps a healthy upper class distaste for being easily controlled. And there's this, there's this line from a um, Mark Wahlberg movie uh, shooter okay. where he gets, he gets tricked by the FBI or by the Homeland security department or whatever is a, uh, gets tricked by the government basically to, to be the fall guy for an assassination plot. Yes. And, um, he, in explaining how it all happened to his friends, his dead friend's wife, he says that, you know, they pulled the, they pulled the Patriot card on me uh -huh. and it worked. And he says, I'm, I'm not proud of it, but I'm not ashamed of it either. And I think, I think that's a lot of, it, it like summarizes, you know, our, our feelings of patriotism are very closely tied to our feelings of hatred. It's like it being easy to rile up, is is not a good thing but it would be shameful if nothing could rile you up you know at the same time and so it, and it's hard to find that balance where you're you're not easy to manipulate but you still have enough heart and connection to things that matter that you can that, that the world has a substance to it in a, in a value sense that it's not just one undifferentiated buddhist mass of unity and you're waiting for um, yeah. to, to be blown out. So exactly, that's that yeah. to, to be undifferentiated matter. So so the the upper class disdain for uh, hatred uh, has some utility, but it, it also maybe explains why the upper class can be so freaking weird and so disgusting. Frankly, at times, um, you know, the, their their openness. Uh, can lead them to very weird and strange and, and uh, arguably not great places. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also the, the freedom to move that other people don't have. Um, you know, and it's true. So, I mean, there's a, there's a golden parachute there, you know, like, a, <laughs> well, I mean, it, some of the leaders, the 
the, of, of uh, edgy movements uh, are often trust fund babies. Yes. <laughs> that, is, yes. that is actually a very common thing. <laughs> so, so because they don't have the consequences of saying the things that they're saying in the same way that they the other people do, like they don't have to. They're not worrying about a paycheck. Uh, they're not going to get fired. Uh, so that's uh, that's you know they they can they can take flights of fancy that other people can't. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, we should wrap this up. But uh, thank you guys uh, in the comments. It was really cool. Uh, to see that comment session light up. We haven't had that yet. And uh, it was great to see you guys in there. I hope uh, the Order of Fire is going to start a Discord here soon. Um, it's really just about my schedule as to where I can get it, when I can get it up to up and running and, uh, and uh, then release it and launch it, whatever. Everything is an ordeal. But uh, we're starting to start a Discord server so that a lot of our guys can interact so maybe some of you guys who are in the comments here can interact and so forth so that you don't have to apply to be a member of the Order of Fire or all that, but also you can still be a part of this bigger thing and this exploration of ideas that we're doing and solar culture and so forth. So uh, stay tuned to that. That's going to be in the next two weeks because it has to be. And uh, the, this, this author has this book that he's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, You can find in defense of hatred on amazon but if you just want to look at it it's also on my blog for free so you can just go to caffeine and philosophy and search in defense of hatred and it's it's all there it's not as easy to search through as a book but all the text is there so you don't even need to buy it to read it cool well that's that's so. that's cool uh cool and uh, and uh, beyond that uh thank you guys and uh like and subscribe if you hadn't to anybody who's late along and i promise i will I will have to do tomorrow, but I promise I'll get the uh, audio version up uh, tomorrow, hopefully. I didn't put up the audio version from last week until today because uh, <laughs> I have to process it and get over and do all that. Everything's packaging. I, I, that's what I should outsource. Oh, yeah. I should outsource the packaging uh, is where I, what I feel I can comfortably give away. But uh, anyway, guys, so it's been great. See you later. Thank you, Christopher, and uh, stay solar. Stay right. solar. Pater is the cultural arm of the Order of Fire. For more, visit ph2t3r.com.